Hey guys, welcome to the Broken Joker. I am so excited to be here. Even though this is a hard subject to bring up, a hard topic to have a whole podcast about. First and foremost, I want you to know I am not a psychologist. I am not a psychiatrist. I do not have a medical degree. What I am is a depression survivor. With that, I want to tell you, Suicide Prevention Hotline, 800-273-8255. If you're more of a text person, there's a crisis hotline, which is you just text HOME, H-O-M-E, all caps, to 741-741. If you are in a crisis, please do that. One more time. The 800 number, if you need to talk to somebody, is 800-273-8255. Or text HOME to 741-741. I have no affiliation with either of those. I just want to see you survive. You know, it's funny. This is a hard podcast. It's a hard one to do because, first off, it's definitely not a sexy podcast, right? You don't want to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about depression. Nobody wants people to have a perceived thought of their weakness. So with that being said, I'm going to give you my background. What happened to me? I don't want to. (laughs) I don't want to go through it. It's painful. Uh, This is the most nervous I've been on a podcast ever. And if you've ever listened to my other podcast, The Rogue Right, which is just us being silly and satire about current events and, and making fun of both sides. This is definitely a different subject for that. This was this was hard. This was coming to this point was very difficult for me. But I am a survivor and I think it's important that people know you can survive this and you can thrive afterwards. I'm living the best life I can live. Every day I try to be a little bit better than I was yesterday. And it's great. It's so much fun. I'm having a blast. With that, no. I care about you surviving this. If you're in depression right now, know that everybody who has suffered depression is rooting for you right now. We might not know your name. We do not know what you're going through because depression is different for everyone. Between physical pain and mental pain, it's different for everyone. But no, we understand that you're going through pain and we are rooting for you to get through this and survive and thrive we are praying for it so my story how did it happen it's not a competition i'm not saying that my pain or my depression was worse than anybody else's by any means because like i said it's different for everyone but I just want to let you know I've been there. And the best way to do that is tell you my story. So it started as early as grade school, maybe earlier, because I was raised without a dad. Again, not an excuse, just the way things are. My dad wasn't really in the picture. I only saw him about once or twice a year if I was lucky. And I lived with my grandmother and my great-grandmother my mother, and an aunt. And my uncle was also there, but he was working 60 to 70 to 80 hour weeks. 
so he wasn't there a lot. So I didn't really have a male role model in my life. And I think as great as a job that my grandmother and great-grandmother did, because they were really my main caregivers, as good as a job that they did, I definitely missed having that male role model around. I struggled a lot with it. I struggled a lot with masculinity, even though my the women I was raised were raised by were unbelievably tough women, unbelievable role models. But you still need that as a young man, and I didn't have it. Then I got diagnosed with learning disabilities, so half the day or for a few hours a day, I would have to leave my class and go to a different class. And you know what grade schoolers do. You know what they do. They're like, oh, you got to go to the stupid class. Oh, you got to do this. And my nickname for most of grade school was Freckle-Faced Fatty. (laughs) I had freckles like you wouldn't believe, and I was an out-of-shape fat kid. So kids make fun. It's a part of life, right? And I think that's where it started. I think that's where the insecurities started. And then when I was in sixth sixth grade and eighth grade, both, first my great-grandmother, then my grandmother, who were my main care, caregivers, passed away. And then I, because my mother and stepfather worked so much, I had a lot of just alone time. I was a latchkey kid. My mom would work late, late hours. My stepdad was out of town almost every other week. And there was just no supervision. And things grew from there. I I think things got worse from there. Finding an identity. Luckily, at that point in my life, I found sports. Wrestling, first, football. I found these sports. I, I lost the weight. I started to get were built and things got better for a while but you know high school's hard and then my junior year right before my junior year we moved which was was hard because we moved out of state and we moved to a place that was a really small town and that small town was very cliquish it was hard to fit in i did my best i was still in sports so that helped from there things went on and and life happened <laughs> I didn't do well in high school. I was not good. I was not, I did not apply myself. Mainly because I was bored. I was bored. It was that learning disability. At the time, I didn't know I had ADD. I knew I was dyslexic. And things just nip away. I like to say it best. Joe Rogan put it best because he was actually talking about his masculinity. He says, you stand on this pile of marbles. And the women he lived with, and it was a joke. The women he lived with come over and they take a marble. They're like, oh, you got so many marbles. You don't need this marble. And they take a marble. You take a marble. The funny thing is, I think that's the best way to describe how depression happens. You're standing on this pile of marbles and little things happen and they pull marbles away. And they pull them away and they pull them away. First, it starts with name calling in grade school. It starts with having a special or having a learning disability. It happens with having to be separated from the rest of the class. It happens with a death of people you really care about. It happens little by little and these marbles are being taken away. Sometimes just one marble, sometimes a handful of marbles. And at the end, when the depression finally, when you realize it, 
there's no more marbles left and you're just standing there. And I think that I think that's the best way to describe it. Each time a marble gets pulled away, you feel a little twinge of pain, but you ignore it because it's only one marble. Sometimes it's a death of a family member. So it's a handful of marbles. It's two handfuls of marbles. You feel the pain, but you kind of push it back. You're not, well, I'm not depressed. I'm just sad. And then it keeps going on. Well, this went on for a long time. I went through a divorce. Then I went, then I got remarried. And that ended. And that ended because of the crisis. It ended because I finally had a breakdown. And what happened is I got on a, put on a three-day hold in Minnesota. And at the end of my three-day hold, I was divorced. Or I was on the road to divorce. And I lost, I lost all the important people in my life. Why did that breakdown happen? I think because I was trying to live to the standards of somebody else. I was a class clown my whole life, hence the name Broken Joker. I was a class clown my whole life, and people kept telling me, you need to grow up. You need to stop joking around. You need to stop this. You need to stop that. You need to look like an adult. You need to be married. You need to own your business. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I tried to live to it. I tried to live to those standards that they're giving me. Well, here's the thing, people. I was being somebody I wasn't. And so I was throwing my marbles away. <laughs> I was throwing them away. Because I was trying to live to a standard of life that wasn't me. There's nothing wrong. I've said this before. There's nothing wrong with being weird. Gloriously weird. That's the greatest thing about us. That's why I love this country. Because everybody's so weird. They're from different places. And they're different nationalities. And they got different accents. And they got That's the best thing about being here, right? Everybody's gloriously weird. Be gloriously weird. And so that happened. So now I go through my divorce. I'm on a three-day hold. I'm in the middle of this crisis breaking down. And if you, if you want to know when you hit rock bottom, I wasn't even there yet. I was, I was now getting a divorce. I was losing everything important in my life. I lost my gym. I'm losing my athletes that I've been coaching. I'm losing all these things. And I'm still not at rock bottom. My mom drives from Texas to Minnesota to get me out of a mental institution. And I thought when she put me in that car, I was still medicated. There was still a haze going on because I was in the middle of a crisis. And she pretty much poured me into the car. And I felt like an unfolded blanket. That's what I felt like. That's what went through my head. There, there's my glorious weirdness. I felt like an unfolded blanket just thrown in the front seat of a car. And we went home. And I thought things would get better. And they didn't. They didn't get better. I just thought I could snap out of it. I thought, I don't know what I thought. I can't remember. Because it was such a haze at the time. But I remember the breaking point. I got in a fight with my stepdad again. 
in the midst of a crisis, in the midst of a breakdown. I came close to hitting him, but I didn't. And at that point, I felt totally alone. And I just wanted everything to stop. And so I went to my favorite fishing spot and tried to end my life. Here's the thing. As everybody sits around and talks about defund the police and do everything else, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. A police officer drove past. That police officer just saw a guy sitting. An adult sitting at a fishing spot without a, without a fishing rod or anything else. And not because I was breaking the law, not for any other reason, but just to check on me. And he stops. He comes up to me. And I remember he's just like, hey, what's up, man? I'm like, and I instantly started apologizing. Oh, am I not supposed to be here? Or is it, no, no, man, I'm just, I'm just checking on you. Oh, okay. He said, are you okay? And I said, no. <laughs> I'm not. I'm the farthest possible thing I'm okay. And he called an ambulance. Ambulance shows up, asked me what I took. As soon as I told him, he made a face. The ambulance driver made a face. And he said... I'll never forget this. He said, we don't have to hurry. I didn't really know what that meant at the time. I really didn't care what it meant at the time. They took me to the hospital. The nurse came up, asked me what I took. I told her, and she said, oh. And then she said, poor baby. <laughs> poor baby. She left. About... Probably half an hour to an hour went by. I I was feeling ill, obviously. And then the doctor came in. And she said, we're going to get you a room. We're going to make you as comfortable as possible. I said, okay. She said, just so you know, you whatever you were trying to do, you did it. You will not survive tomorrow. You are going to die. And here's the crazy thing. At that point, I kind of looked up and I said to myself, you finally did something right. And I'm just being honest with you. I'm not trying to glorify it. I'm just telling you exactly what I thought in that moment because that's how irrational I was. And that's how the depression attacked me. They make stupid, dumb thoughts seem rational. Oh, you finally did it. You finally made it. What an idiotic, stupid thing to think. I don't blame myself for it. I'm just telling you the real story. So they put me in a room. They made me comfortable. They even gave me a single room. I was by myself. I still hadn't changed out of the outfit I was in. I was without a shirt, but I slept in the shorts I had worn that day. The funny thing is they were my favorite shorts. <laughs> Why? I don't know. But they were my favorite shorts. They were a pair of cargo shorts. And I slept in those. And the next morning, something weird happened. I didn't expect to happen. I woke up. I woke up, and I'm laying there. 
And the funny thing is I, I had a decent sleep. But now I was starting to feel bad, really sick. And the nurse came in. She says, how do you feel? And I said, terrible. She, well, that's, that's normal. And she took my blood. And they all treated me kind of with kit gloves. And then I started feeling sick. <laughs> and this is when I told her I think I'm going to throw up. And she got me a pan to throw up in. And I, I, can I, I said, can I stand up? I don't want to throw up in bed. And she's like, sure. And I got out of bed and I laid down. I, I got on all fours next to the bed because I knew I was going to throw up. And I, if you don't like bodily fluids and this is making you cringe, I apologize. But I unleashed. And as I was throwing up, a funny thing happened. I shit my pants. And I don't mean a little bit. I mean, I tried to put. 10 pounds of potatoes in a five-pound sack, okay? I mean unleashed. So I threw up and I shit my pants. And I looked at the, I looked at the ceiling and I remember thinking, good one. This is the universe paying me back. I just crapped my favorite pants. <laughs> and throwing up at the same time, could I get any lower? And the answer was no. This was rock bottom. This was it. And I started to giggle a little bit. And the nurse saw me giggling and she started to giggle a little bit because it was just the whole irony of the situation. And then the doctor, I cleaned up. So now all I have on is a hospital gown. Can you feel any more vulnerable than being in a hospital gown? Is there anything that makes you, I felt so vulnerable. And the doctor walks in and I said, you know, hello and pleasantries. And she said, I don't know what happened. And I said, what? She said, I've never seen it before. She said, your liver counts have done a complete 180. They're rising. You're actually going to survive. And I was at that place right then. I just finished crapping my pants, throwing up. And I didn't know how to feel. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. I was in such a dark, deep place that I didn't know how to feel. Someone told me I was going to live. I didn't know what to do. Luckily, the state of Texas told me what I was going to do. I was going to be put on a three-day hold in a mental institution. Here's the thing about Texas. Not the best place be put on three-day hold, at least at that time. I think we were ranked 36th out of 50 states for mental health. It's gotten a lot better since then. But they put me on a hold, and it was a dreary place. They did their best, and they were good people. And I was put in there with people that were hearing voices. I was put in there with people that were in terrible, terrible crisis. And then I started to feel guilty because I was like, oh, they're in so much worse places than me, and here I am being a selfish little prick trying to take my own life. And they would kill to be where I am. It's a bad choice of words. They would kill themselves to be where I was. And I didn't know how to feel about that. I was so lost. And I would go to group, and I did my three days, and a funny thing happened. As soon as I got out, 
My mom came and got me. Nobody knew I was there. My mom didn't know what had happened. They just knew I disappeared for three days. And I was in borrowed clothes because I had crapped my other clothes. And my mom brought me my own clothes to put on. And we left. And there wasn't much said. And I called a friend of mine who was my mentor and a really close friend. Because for some reason, I felt like I just had to tell somebody what had happened. I didn't want to tell anybody. So I told him, and he said, boy, that's pretty stupid. (laughs) And then he said, Jason, what don't you have that you need? What do you mean? Do you, you have your health other than what you just damaged. You have family. You have all these things. I'm just wondering what it is you need. I said, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. And he said, maybe it's you need to live the life you were born to lead. I said, well, there's no time now. I'm 35 years old. <laughs> and he started laughing. And he said, Jason, do you know the, what the national average is for age in this country, for death? I said, I have no idea. And I think at the time it was about 74. He goes, so on the bad side of things, you only have 35 years to accomplish every goal you ever wanted if you started right now. And that's when it hit me. And I started living that life. First, I went to a psychiatrist who prescribed me medication. Then I went to a psychologist who showed me the way Stop feeling like I was feeling or to put me on the path to healing. The minute I got on medication, my goal was to get off medication. I hated it, but I know I needed it. So I still used it. I used it for as long as they made me. And then they weaned me off of it little by little. And I'm medication free now. I regulate my moods and my depression through diet, exercise, And critical thinking. Is that enough for everybody? No. Do some people need to stay on medication? Absolutely. Because right now, people, the only goal is the goal to survive. So that's the first episode of The Broken Joker. I wanted to give you the background. I wanted you to feel or know kind of what I went through. So you kind of understand that although I don't know exactly what you're going through, I have been there. I understand the thinking. I understand the irrational thoughts. I understand what you're feeling. My empathy is there. And all I can say right now is, please survive. Do what you need to do. Last time, suicide hotline is 800-273-8255. If you rather text, go through a text conversation. You can call the crisis or you can text the crisis hotline. Just text HOME, H O M E, all caps, to 741 741. Because please survive. But don't worry, this, uh, this episode been kind of a downer, I know. But next episode, we'll start talking about thriving and getting through this and staying on the path that you need to. I have some great guests coming up also. But I really appreciate you guys sitting and listening for this whole time. And I will talk to you soon. Thanks again. I'm Jason T. Powell with The Broken Joker. Bye.